Well, for those who don't know where that's at, that is in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. 2 Chronicles chapter 33. As you're turning there, just a bit of background for some context. As I've mentioned before, and as I hope you have discovered yourself, when we look at the story and the accounts of what went on with the Israelites, we see this constant ebb and flow. Well, they're at one point, they'll be closer to the Lord like they should be, and then they backtrack and they move further away. We saw this all throughout the desert. They'd get closer, then they'd fall again. And we see this also in their kings. Of course, it wasn't meant to be for them to have kings. God was supposed to be their king living uh, among them. But they wanted to be, quote, like all the other nations. And so they demanded a king, and God gave them a series of kings. And some were good, and some were bad. Some went closer to God, some went further away. Unfortunately, King Manasseh is one who was not good. In fact, the scriptures revealed to us that he was worse than the pagan people who already lived in that country that the Lord told Joshua to utterly destroy. Interesting, just again, just to note some background here. His father was Hezekiah, who I have preached about before, who did follow after what God wanted. And I'll just quickly note, having a family member who follows after God doesn't necessarily always result in having other families or a child who does the same. I'm going to read the first, uh, the, the whole chapter. We're in Second Chronicles chapter 33, so if you'll turn there, we'll read together. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. But did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathens, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down, and he reared up altars for Balaam, and made groves and worshipped all of the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, where the Lord had said in Jerusalem, Shall my name be forever. And he built altars of all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused the children to pa- cause his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and also observed times, and used enchantments, and used witchcraft, and dealt with familiar spirits and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have appointed for your fathers, that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them, according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to error and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not listen. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains and the hosts of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before God of his fathers. 
and prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him, and bared his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem unto the kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Now after this, he built a wall with, outside the city of David, on the west side of Gishon, in the valley, even entering to the fish gate, and encompassed about Ophel, and raised it up from a very high, very great height, and put captains of war in all the fenced cities of Judea. And he took away the strange gods and the idols out of the house of the Lord, and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord, and in Jerusalem, and cast them out of the city. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, and sacrificed thereon peace offerings and thank offerings, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people did sacrifice still in the high places, yet unto the Lord their God only. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, and his prayer unto his God, and the words of the seers that spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. His prayer also, and how God was entreated of him, and how all his sins and his trespasses, and the places wherein he built the high places, and set up the groves and the graven images, before he was humbled, behold, they are all written among the sayings of the seer. And so Manasseh slept with his father, and they buried him in his own house. And uh, Amon, his son, reigned in his stead. Now, I'm going to pause there, but let me summarize Amon. He didn't do what he's supposed to. Once again, you see this wavering back and forth. And once again, the lesson that we should learn from our lives in this is we do the same, don't we? We get closer to the Lord sometimes, and then we back away. And then we have to repent and get closer again. And I remember years ago, late one night while I was listening to the scripture and thinking, these people are just idiots. And it suddenly dawned on me, I'm the idiot. <laughs> right? Because this is the story of my life, getting closer to the Lord and then taking steps back and then getting closer and further away. But let's look at King Manasseh for just a few minutes. As it says, he was bad, or in fact, probably worse than the pagan nations that they were told to destroy. I do want to pause here just for a minute, and I don't want to belabor this point. However, other than to say that they were ordered to go into this land that God was giving them, flowing with milk and honey, and to utterly destroy everyone there. Because God knew that allowing uh, this temptation would lead to their downfall. And they didn't really fully follow the Lord's command. They destroyed most of them, but they didn't. They gave up and got comfortable. I'll just quickly say that in our own lives, God's wisdom is very similar to us as well. If there is a sin in our lives, is there is something that is not right, we can't just compartmentalize it because it will come back to us. We must utterly cast it out and destroy it so that it no longer has a control over us. Or over time, it may begin to grow and fester and cause problems. Now it says that he did despicable things. He worshipped Baal and Asherah, that's the, Baal is the, the sun god, so to speak, and Asherah is uh, kind of the moon goddess, if you will. And you'll recognize these names all throughout the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, as being snares and problems to the, to the Jewish people. One of the main issues that they had was the worship of these false gods involved a lot of illicit sexual practices, including 
um, ritual prostitutes and things of this nature. So when we read through here and we think about setting up altars and practicing these religions, understand that what he was doing was not only engaged in these things, not only allowing them to go on, but doing them in the very house of God. Imagine how evil you have to be. Now I've heard it said many times that, um, <laughs> not many times, but I've heard it said a few times, People have talked about how they would never commit a crime at a church because that's just, you just don't, you don't do things wrong there. I'd never break into a church. I've heard people say that before. I'd never commit this crime at a church before. But the reality is this building is no different than the parcel of land across the street. The Spirit of God is everywhere. The Spirit of God is more evident when we are here together, but the church is us, not a building. Yet the world seems to think, at least many people, those who are sinners who commit crime, well, I would never go do this at a church. So, how bold and how wrong is it for Manasseh to actually commit a crime, to actually worship, worship a false god in Old Testament times when God actually was in that place? He violated every rule he was supposed to. They were given clear commands, as we remember when they were given the Ten Commandments, not to create idols, and he created idols anyway. They were told not to intermarry with foreigners and take on their gods, which many of them did repeatedly over and over again. In fact, 2 Kings 17 gives the advice, do not do like them. Talking about those in the land that they were partaking of. And we still get similar uh, encouragement today in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul tells us to come out from among them, those who are in the world, those who are doing things they are not supposed to do. We are not supposed to be part of it. It gets even worse than that in verse 6. There's a couple ways to possibly interpret this, but it's very likely he burned his own children alive as a sacrifice to God. Now, how far gone do you have to be to do that? It raises an interesting question. I don't know why this has been on me for a little bit. It doesn't seem appropriate for anybody here, but I'll go ahead and say it anyway. You can't be too far gone for God to save you. This man burned his own children alive. This man went into the very presence of God and did all kinds of deplorable things in the house that was built for God to live in. And look at what happened at the end. He turned around. So don't ever think that you're too far gone because if God deals with you and draws you back, you're never too far away. And I guarantee you, nobody here has ever done anything close to this bad. You may feel like you have. But you haven't. And if God can turn Manasseh around and save him, then he can certainly take care of what you've done too. So he burned his own children alive. There's a location that's spoken of here. In verse 6, it says, He caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. We hear about this place in the New Testament as well. This is a rocky, uninhabitable valley just outside the walls of the city. Now, there's one part of town that was kind of the city dump, but this is kind of that, but a little bit different. A lot of the raw sewage would drain down to this place. If you had no one to afford a burial for you, they would often just 
throw the bodies in this area. In fact, there's other historical documents that talk about how it smelled like sulfur and it was always burning. It's a fire dump, horrible place that never was extinguished. And the English translation of this word that they use to describe it is um, seen in the New Testament, depending on your translation, Gehenna. Does it sound familiar? Gehenna. Christ even talked about Gehenna. Later on, Josiah destroyed this area because it was being used for sacrifices, again, as was mentioned here, to the false gods. And still to this day, you can find some carvings that they think were carved into the rock where they would sacrifice small children. It was a filthy, disgusting, repulsive dump, always burning, always on fire. People were burned alive there. And Christ says the following in Mark 9, And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell, using the phrase Gehenna, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And so when Christ is telling this example to the people who were living at that time, that would have been a very real understanding. This place where for hundreds of years children were sacrificed. This place where people were thrown and they were burned alive. This place that there was so much raw sewage and so much filth and so much disgustingness that the fire never really went out and no one dared go there on purpose. And Christ is using this as an example later as he's walking near it just outside the walls to say, look, be careful that you do not sin because if you do, you will go to a place that's like this where the worm never dies and the fire burns forever. This is that place where Manasseh was going to worship false gods. You wonder how you get so far away. The same stinking cesspool And brothers and sisters, that is an example of what hell will be like. Someplace no one wants to go. That burns forever. But this didn't stop. He continued in verse 7 and 8, and he put idols into the house of God. It wasn't just enough to have altars that you would sacrifice, but now we have false idols that we set up inside the houses of God. And a very important thing happens in verse 9. It says, So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen from whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Listen, brothers and sisters, whether you think you are a king, whether you think you are important or not, other people follow what you do. And Manasseh led an entire country, an entire culture, to sin worse than the people who were there before. We must be very careful to make sure we're doing right because others are following our example. He led an entire culture back into sin. Some translations say he led or seduced or misled. Who's watching you? Who were you responsible for? From young to old, people are always watching Of course, in all this, the Lord tried to get his attention. It said, And the Lord spake to Manasseh 
and to his people, but they would not listen. God spoke to Manasseh and said, whatever he said, stop doing what you're doing, follow me. I don't know, fill it in. But I guarantee you, with God speaking to Manasseh, Manasseh just ignored him. Later on, we see in this chapter, it seems to indicate that there were prophets that were sent to Manasseh to tell him to stop the errors of his ways, and he just ignored them. How many times have we heard people say, or have you thought to yourself, well, if God would just tell me X, Y, or Z, I would do it. Didn't work here, did it? How many times have you wished that God would send you a sign? God probably already has. And you've ignored it. Now here's the real hard one for some of us today. How many times have we been encouraged to be that sign and we've refused to do it? See, God is active and living. God has invested in who we are. We've talked about this now for a long time. God wants a personal, individual relationship with us. He will deal directly with us, but we must listen and obey. We can push Him away. And that's exactly what Manasseh did. Manasseh would not listen. Then we get verse 11. And after all this, the Lord being provoked to anger, as it said in verse 6, Manasseh gets captured. Captured by who? Well, it's very likely, based on history and scriptures, it seems like he already had a partnership with these kings of these other nations. He wasn't supposed to giving them supplies, trading with them, being a vassal, if you will, of them. And they, whatever happened, we don't know, but they came and they captured him. Why they didn't kill him? Don't know. But they led him away, probably for about two years. That's important. Now let's look at verse 12 and 13, because these are the key verses here. And when he was in affliction, this is after he's been captured, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before God his, of his fathers. And he prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord, he was God. Let me read this in a different translation. But when he was in distress or pain, he sought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. When he prayed to him, he was uh, moved by his entreat, that's God was moved, and heard his pleading and brought him back to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. A couple things I want to point out here, and we've mentioned this before. Who did the accepting here? God. We get this wrong all the time. Somehow we think that it's I who accept God. It is God who accepts me. It is the one who is greater than me that has to accept my um, apology, who has to accept my faith, not the other way around. And we see this in this phrase. He was accepted or God was moved by his uh, entreat. He allowed him to approach him. Makes you wonder how long this lasted, don't you? I've mentioned this before. Some people it takes years to be saved. And some it takes only a few moments. 
I don't know how long this went on, but we know that he was there for about two years. Did he pray and he pray and he pray? Did he never give up begging for God to uh, forgive him for his sins or did it happen all at once? I don't know the answer to that, but I know that he was in bondage for a couple of years before God released him to come back to Jerusalem. It also says that he knew him. Now listen, his dad knew all about God and actually knew him in the sense of this word. Is there any possible way that Manasseh didn't know who God was in the simplest form of the word? No. Just like most people in this country today know that there's a God or they know what the Bible says, as in they've read it before, they've heard it before, but they don't know it as in an intimate relationship with him. And see, this is what changed in Manasseh's life. He all of a sudden knew God. He met God and he began a relationship with God. It wasn't that he knew about God. It was that he actually knew him. And the easiest way to describe this is most of us today know uh, people who are famous. As in we know about these people that we see on TV or these artists that we hear sing songs or whatever it is. We know who our politicians that represent us are. But almost none of us actually know any of these people in the purest, truest, most intimate way. That's the difference here. Manasseh knew God, but he didn't know God in the sense that we know each other, in the sense that I know the Lord, in the sense that I am known by God. This is the point that changed. This is the point that changed Manasseh's life. Look at what he does. Well, first of all, he humbles himself. He was humiliated himself greatly, wholly. Many, many times in life, I think people fail to be saved because they don't want to humble themselves before an almighty God. Which sounds absolutely crazy when you say it on the outside, but how many of us have struggled truly giving in to God everything that we should? And instead, we want to do it our way or our time. How many times do we justify ourselves and say, well, that sin isn't really that bad, when in fact it is that bad? Or we say it's just the little thing, when really it actually matters. We fail all the time to truly humble ourselves to God. This was a problem that even his father had. You can turn back and look. Chapter before in chapter 32, King Hezekiah even in the end, struggles with this. Verse 23, and it says, And many brought gifts unto the Lord and to Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, so that he was magnified in the sight of all the nations henceforth. Uh-oh. Hezekiah is kind of getting a big head. He's not humble anymore. In those days, Hezekiah was sick to death and prayed unto the Lord, and he spake to him, and he gave him a sign. Read about that in Kings. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to his benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Uh-oh. Hezekiah's heart's lifted up. Therefore, there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself before the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. See, Hezekiah figured it out. 
Hezekiah realized that he had gotten proud before God. That everyone was saying, oh man, look at you. Your kingdom is amazing. You're so wealthy. You're awesome. And what he did was he lived into this pride. And instead of living a humble life, realizing that it was God working through him to make everything work out, he took that on himself and was proud. And he had to be humbled before God. And so, brothers and sisters, the same is true for us. The problem is uh, his son dealt with the same thing. And thankfully, both of them figured this out near the end of their lives. Thankfully, Manasseh realized that he had to humble himself greatly or wholly before a holy God, realizing he is nothing, realizing all the things that he had done. Can you imagine having to go before God and confess that you murdered, burned alive your infant children? That you led an entire nation into idolatry? Can you imagine the weight that goes on someone? It would be so much easier to just stand there defiantly and say, no, I, I did what I was supposed to. It's okay. I don't believe in you. Pick any number of excuses would be so much easier for Manasseh than to actually go with humility before God and say, you know what? I've screwed up every single thing in my life. I have murdered people. I have done all manner of evil and filth in this world. And I deserve nothing more than what you're going to give me, which is eternal death in that horrible valley where I used to kill children. That's what it takes to get to God. That's what it takes to come humbly before Him and wholly give yourself over to Him to actually repent. Because He asks the Lord for mercy. So many times today, so many churches skip over this part because it's not pretty. It's not fun. It's easier just to say, well, say this and you're done. Sign this card, you'll be done. Shake the preacher's hand, you'll be done. But no, it takes humility. It takes holy humbling yourself before God and repenting of all the things that you've done and asking for His mercy to come before Him. Sometimes God will help us humble ourselves. You ever experienced that? That's what happened here, isn't it? When I said, wasn't getting it. God had spoken to him. God had sent prophets to speak to him. And he refused and he refused. He hardened his heart. He continued sinning. He sinned even more. He set up idols. He sacrificed to false gods in the very uh, house that was built for God in the very temple. And it took something bringing him finally to his physical knees, the removal of his kingdom for God to get his attention, for him to finally humble himself before God and to repent asking for mercy. You know what's a lot better? Never having to experience that. And some of you who've been around a few more years than I have can tell of stories like that. Where you wish that you had humbled yourself early in your life and obeyed the Lord rather than gone out there on a whim, done what you wanted to, and had to be brought to your knees later in life. And so young ones, it's better to be humble now and wholly seek God. And those who are older, if you haven't, just like Manasseh, it's not too late. Humble yourself. Holy seek him. Repent. We see in this he also removed and destroyed the foreign gods. He got rid of them. If you have sin living in your life, you must utterly get rid of it. You must throw it out. You must break it all down. And you must no longer let it be around because it will always be a temptation to you. He also sacrificed to the one true God. 
He worshiped. You should worship. This is why church is so important that you physically come and are a part of a church because it is something we do together. You can worship God on your own and you should and ought to. But there is something about coming and doing it with others together who sing songs together, who take uh, the Lord's Supper together, right? To commune with each other, to worship God together and give Him praise like we ought to. He also ordered the other people. Now he's realizing that since he can lead them astray to do worse than those who lived there before, then hopefully he can lead them back, you see. Brothers and sisters, we should do the same. He truly reformed. But it doesn't always end well. Catch this and... uh, near the end. In verse 20, it says, Manasseh slept with his fathers and they buried him in his own house. Now, if you are a Bible scholar and look through several other kings that are passing, there's, there's royal cemeteries. We just got to see a, what, three-week funeral go on before they finally buried the poor lady in somewhere. And they put her with all the other famous royalty people. He got buried in his own house. Not because his house was fancy necessarily. I think it may have been because, despite the fact that he had a coming around, he still had to suffer with the image of what he'd done. And no one wanted to put him with all the other honorable kings. That happens a couple of times through scriptures. The point that I'm making here is you may fully uh, humble yourself before God. You may greatly seek Him. You may repent. You may even receive forgiveness and the grace that's given to Him. Yet you still may have to suffer the consequences of the things you've done before. Not all of that's always removed. Manasseh had it all. He was a king. Great wealth great power, had a godly parent. I mentioned Hezekiah. It says, He trusted the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kinds of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. But Manasseh still needed personal grace. He still needed to know the Lord himself. He could not rely on the good work of his father. As we mentioned, God spoke directly to the people. God spoke directly to Manasseh, and God sent messengers, prophets, to tell them and to warn them what they were doing is wrong. What is God telling you today? And for those of you who may be sitting here saying, hmm, ask yourself this question. What is God telling you to do? Is he telling you to go warn someone else of their ways? God uses us all the time as much as we're willing to be used. Sometimes he sends people into our lives to correct us, to counsel us, to guide us. And sometimes he'll use us to do the same for others. We cannot and should not ignore that. Finally, we saw in his distress that he changed. I think the Lord was convicting him, but Manasseh still had to respond. 
See, you can be sorry for what you did. That's not the same as being convicted. And we've talked about this before. It was even mentioned, I think, recently on a Wednesday night. You can get caught and be sorry you got caught, but that's different from being truly sorrowful for what you've done. Manasseh moved from just being sorry that he got captured and lost his kingdom to being truly humble and sorrowful before an almighty God. Now, as I mentioned, fun historical lesson, Hezekiah, good king. Had a little problem at the end, was fine. But Manasseh's great-grandfather, not so much. In fact, it says... Uh, in First Chronicles 28 and 22, his grandfather Ahaz, in the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. See, we go through these periods in our lives when we have hard times coming, when we are in distress, when we have opportunities before the Lord to truly repent, to make things right, to confess, and to change our lives. And we stand at that moment and we have a choice. We can be like Manasseh who falls on his face and says, I've completely messed up. and I'm going to go home and make it right. Or you can be like his great-grandfather who hardened his heart even more, who turned his face, who's Uh, was more faithless to the Lord. Y'all ever known some people like that? You ever been like that in the past? Just make you more angry, even though you know God's right? It's a very dangerous place to be. But Manasseh humbled himself. He accepted responsibility for his sins. He repented, asking the Lord for mercy. And as I mentioned, it was God who accepted his prayer, not the other way around. We know that he was truly changed because of what happened after. Look at the fruits. So scripture says meat for repentance, the proof of repentance. He removed the sin from the land. He sacrificed to God. He influenced people to follow God. I'm going to do something else I don't normally do. Um, Josephus was a historian a little bit after Christ. Wrote a bit about Christ and who he was. Josephus is Jewish. He's not Christian. He wasn't a follower of Christ. But he has a surviving record of history uh, that's very important to us. And, And we can know a little bit more about, we can understand the scriptures a little bit better because we have that history, right? Does that make sense? Interesting thing he recorded um, about this incident because he recorded the, the history. So this is not scripture, okay? I just want you to understand that, but it's relevant. Um, Josephus wrote down, all the rest of his time, he was so changed for the better that he was looked upon as a very happy man. Now, if that's true, this is one of the most evil men who ever lived. Let's not forget the beginning. Sacrificing his own children, 
encouraging an entire country to fall away from God, setting up altars and idols in God's very house, doing the most despicable things humanly, physically, literally possible, the worst things that you could possibly imagine, yet he meets the Lord God, I think is saved because he begins to know him and what happens all the days of his life after. He's happy. How many of you have been changed by God and your disposition is one of joy and happiness? Maybe not every day, maybe not all the time, but brothers and sisters, if you know the Lord, you should be joyful and happy and people should see it. This is evidence of a changed heart and a changed life. He removed the sin. He got the sacrifices to God instead of to the false gods. He threw everything that was wrong out. He began to influence other people, and the history records him as being a happy man. In fact, it goes on and says it's one to be modeled after. Has God changed your life like that? Great sinners, listen. As in, listen to me. Those who are great sinners. That's what I'm trying to say. God wants you to humble yourself. God wants you to repent. And God wants you to know Him. And then He wants you to remove any sin in your life, to follow after Him, and to lead other people to Him. Little sinners, trivial sinners. Maybe most of you. I don't know. What does God want of you? The same thing. He wants you to humble yourself. He wants you to repent. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to remove the sin from your life, and He wants you to worship Him. The point is this. No matter where you find yourself on the spectrum, one of the worst, most despicable human beings who's ever walked this earth, or someone who's fairly young and done almost nothing, the plan and the desire of God is the same. That you come before Him wholly, humbly, that you... Admit to him that you ask him to forgive you and that when he does, you begin to worship him. When he does, you begin to remove the sin from your life. And when he does, you receive a happy disposition and others can follow after you. And so, brothers and sisters, nothing has changed for thousands of years. Whether you're a king or a peasant, it's the same. It's the same plan. It's the same God. What will you put your faith into? Will you harden your heart like his grandfather? Or will you give in like Manasseh? Will it take an unspeakable tragedy where you lose everything to find him? I'll just pause here and say if it does, it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. If you have to lose everything you have so that you can find peace with God, it's worth it in your life. Job would agree. The Apostle Paul would agree. Everyone who's given everything away would agree. It's totally worth it to follow God. But we also see amazing examples of people who could do wonderfully good things because they didn't lose it all because they repented before. Remember the story a few weeks ago of Zacchaeus who gave away all kinds of money, did all kinds of good things because he didn't get to the point that God would take everything away. He paid attention before. And to whom much is given, much will be required. 
And we have a great opportunity before us, many of us, to humble ourselves, to be obedient to God, and to follow after Him. So I said we'd have a, a hymn, a song this morning. The time for you to consider your state. And none of us, as I said, none of us are Manasseh. Thank goodness. None of us are that bad. But we all need a Savior just as much. We all need to repent. We all need to be convicted of our sins. And we all need to seek the Lord while He can be found. And if God is dealing with you this morning, then you must pray to Him until He gives you His personal grace. That's what you have to do. That's the same message today as it was then, as it will be forever.